Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. If you hadn't been arrested, do you think you ever would have told on these guys or would you have just kept going? Yeah. Because to me, I had it made. Do you regret cooperating at all, or are you glad you did it? That's a hard question, because to answer that question, you have to balance it out. You have to say to yourself, what would have happened if I didn't? How many pages we got left? We're, we're doing pretty well, actually, I have to say. Well, I, I don't like flipping all those pages. <laughs> It's my last day in the desert. I'm still thinking about what Dominic told me yesterday, that he pulled the trigger. This morning, I can tell there's been a change in Dominic. He's tired of me, and for once, tired of telling his stories. Do you want to stop now and then? Yeah, I want to take a break. But we're almost at the end. Plus, I, I promised Rossi we'd call. And Do you want to call Rossi now? We could. Yeah. Do you want to this Damn flies. That thing doesn't work. Look, they're all over. What's up, man? That's Josh and Dominic. What's up, Don? Not much. What's up, old man? <laughs> I feel like I'm getting cross-examined by the police. <laughs> Wait. Hey, Ross, how are you? Doing good? Yeah, it's going well. He's, he's almost at the end. He's been a real trooper. He's a trooper. <laughs> he's gonna kick, yeah. kick. He's gonna kick me out by the end of it. That's my chickens. This fucking guy. Look at him. He's got chickens and and. Check this out. Wait, hold on. Must be nice to have money. 
What you are hearing is the very last interview ex-Gambino crime family associate Dominic Montiglio will ever give. He's decided that this is the final time he'll tell his stories. Think about all the stuff we still haven't talked about. Yeah, all the memories that are keeping me awake at night. It's gonna be worth it now. What? Yes, it's gonna be worth it. It's all said and done. When it comes out, it's gonna be worth it. Hopefully. From ID, I'm Celia Anaskovich, and this is Mafia Tapes. Episode 7, Under Oath. So on one of our calls, you told me that no one's ever asked you about testifying. No. Why do you think? I don't know. I really don't, but I know they never did. You know, which is a big deal because that was part of the the whole thing. You know, was part of that was my testifying. I was on the stand for three days. And in another kind of health development, 21 people were indicted in New York City today, all allegedly part of an organized crime ring. Among those arrested was Big Paul Castellano, the reputed head of the group, which authorities said was responsible for at least 25 murders and much bribery, drug trafficking, prostitution, loan sharking, and auto theft. What started as 25 murders in the initial indictment in U.S. v. Castellano would grow to over 200 murders by the time the trial began. In addition to Paul Castellano, those from the crew included in the indictment are Uncle Nino Gaggi, the Gemini twins, Anthony and Joey, Dominic's pal, Henry Borelli, and the autocrime theft expert, Pete LaFrocia. It's December 4th, 1985, Dominic is in the hallway of the Southern District of New York Courthouse, waiting to be called to testify in the trial known as U.S. v. Castellano. He paces back and forth, nervous to face his Uncle Nino, considering what he's about to do. Turn on his family. Dominic is no longer a gangster. He's a cooperating witness in federal prosecutor Walter Mack's investigation and he's anxious to get his story straight. Inside, the courtroom is large. A partition separates the defendants from the spectators, who sit in long wooden pews. So I remember one day I was walking to the courtroom, and a group of family members were there, including some children, and a little boy of about three years old walked up to me. And without saying a word, he just walked up to me and he punched me on the leg. His mother was standing right there and she saw the whole scene happen and she laughed. All she did was laugh. She didn't apologize. She didn't correct the child. And that moment, more than anything else, I think that happened for me in this trial or any other mob trial, 
that I ever covered told me that this group of people is different from the people that most of us meet in the course of our daily lives. That's Larry Elkin, court reporter for the Associated Press. He sits in the gallery amongst the families and attorneys observing this massive trial with multiple defendants. Among the first of its kind, thanks to the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, commonly known as RICO. This law is relatively new at the time, created to take down organized crime and get around the hierarchical structures used to protect the boss. This was the opening salvo in what turned out to be a decade-long war between federal prosecutors in Manhattan and organized crime in New York City. You bet it was a high-profile event. This is as much about impressions as facts, more than in many other kinds of cases. This is the 1980s. There's no video. There's no cell phone video. There's no doorbell video linking these people to anything. This was not a case in which, as I recall, recorded conversations even were a particularly big factor. This was about credibility. Who did you believe? Who did you trust? Mary Lee Warren, assistant U.S. attorney and member of the task force, burns the midnight oil helping prosecutor Walter Mack prepare against the defense. There were a few judges who treated women differently and I would say poorly. And that was something I had to sort of just dismiss out of my thoughts because the importance was proceeding with a trial and going forth and getting the convictions for these horrible defendants, getting the conviction that they deserved and that my discomfort was of no matter uh, in getting that done. I particularly admire Mary Lee's tenacity and perseverance. Apart from the defendants' wives, Mary Lee is one of the only women in the giant courtroom. Today marks the moment when Dominic turns his back on everything he once knew. His family. His former life. Dominic was going to be the most important witness. For those of us on the trial team, maybe not Walter, but certainly for me, I had to sort of hold my breath. How's he going to come out today? Is he with us or is he going to try and diminish his roles and not give a full account of the excesses of this horrible crew? Dominic is called to the stand. He places his left hand on the Bible, right hand raised, and swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He sits. Dominic looks slick in a suit and tie, accessorized with dark, tinted glasses, a mirror image of his uncle Nino Gaggi, who sits just a few feet away from the witness stand. Beside Nino are Anthony Center, Joey Testa, Henry Borelli, and Pete LaFrosha. You walk out and you sit in the witness chair and with them doing this. And they're as far away as that wall. 
Anthony and Joey make suggestive motions with their hands. Their fingers form a gun, pulling a trigger. They're like 15 feet away from you. And they bring in everybody that you knew, including my grandmother. Walter Mack begins his direct examination. He's prepared, calm, confident. Walter had a few scribbled notes, and he could go for hours with that because he knew the case so well. And he knew the witnesses that well and had the confidence. And I think that that confidence then was something that really held the witness together, too. If Walter had appeared nervous, I don't think Dominic would have done as well as he did. And though Dominic's voice sometimes trembles, his responses are precise, detailed. The hardest testimony, I think, was against my uncle. Because we were so close for so long, I knew the attitude he would have. And I think that was the hardest part of the testimony. Walter Mack's questioning lasts for hours, which turns into days. I can only assume that's why Dominic flinches as I turn my pages of notes. This was a very highly skilled group of of defense lawyers, and they basically could cross-examine, you know, a killer or someone and and pretty much create uh, the feeling of reprehensibility in the jurors' minds. So... You know, those were our witnesses. And as prosecutors frequently say, you know, the people who are involved in these types of activities are not uh, priests or rabbis. They are people who, in order to learn or gain knowledge of the conduct of the criminals they associate with, are criminals themselves. Cross-examination is next. Dominic grips the arms of his chair, bracing himself. This is the moment Walter and NYPD detective Frank Pergola have prepared Dominic for. The moment when his testimony, his stories, will be put under a microscope and examined. We kept going over the information about the particular murders or the loans that he was picking up or the extortions that he was doing and uh, the visits that he was making with Nino to... uh, Carlo Gambino's house when he was alive until 1976, and then that continued into visits with uh, with Nino up to Paul Castellano's house in Staten Island, uh, usually to drop off money. That was very important to the Rico case, you know, because you needed certain crime, you had established certain crimes within a certain time period to be successful in that kind of a prosecution. I mean, he told us a lot of things that were horrible. You know, we're talking about He established uh, and verified 56 murders based on the information we had. It was all correct. These are the guys that did it, and this is how they did it. The questioning is intense, brutal even, as the defense tries to poke holes and disprove what the jury has just heard. If the defense can break Dominic, a guilty verdict may be out of reach for the prosecution.
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Do you remember when Jimmy cross-examined you? How could you forget it? You know? Tell me about it. Well, he asked you questions that were very baited. He was a tough case to handle because he would ask you a question and when you went to ask you, he said, well, that's not what I asked. I asked this. I said, no, you didn't. You asked that. And he would spend like a second or two and then say, yeah, I guess you're right. And I said, I know I'm right. And I handled him good. Jimmy LaRosa Sr., defense attorney for Paul Castellano, is no longer with us. But his son is. Jimmy LaRosa Jr. is a journalist who studied U.S. v. Castellano closely when writing a memoir about his father. Dominic Montiglio was a soldier in the Gambino crime family who, after getting a 
indicted for a crime, turned state's evidence against the big fish, Paul Castellano. He was a complete and utter rat. And why he thought he could, I, I, I think it was part of him making a deal with the government that he would testify against against Paul because, uh, you know, you couldn't have gotten a, a worse witness as Jimmy proved in Cross where he was ripped apart and basically made out to be a complete liar. And, uh, you know, the jury uh, turned their backs on him and actually hated even watching the cross-examination, the display. It was so vicious. Despite Dominic recounting earlier that he handled Jimmy good, the defense feels otherwise. They deem the vicious cross-examination against Dominic a success. By the time Dad completed cross on him, he admitted to committing perjury on six different occasions. He admitted to being addicted to cocaine during this period. Jimmy LaRosa does just as Walter feared. He pokes holes in Dominic's stories, making him out to be a liar and causing him to ultimately commit perjury, lying under oath. Everyone seems to have a different opinion about the significance of Dominic's lies, including Walter Mack. He testified truthfully. If Jimmy LaRosa were alive today, he would say that Dominic lied on the stand about Paul, that he was a perjurer. I remember uh, seeing, I think, the Daily News or, or uh, one of the tabloids in the city um, saying that Dominic had admitted that he wasn't truthful in the grand jury. We put him in the grand jury. I put him in the grand jury. He testified. His use of the word perjury was not really accurate, but those, dis- those details are lost on the general public. I head to the Southern District of New York Records Room to see if I can make a determination myself. I'm here to read the transcripts from the trial that was held in this historic building. To read the words Dominic said under oath. To learn what parts of the stories were embellished, altered, or omitted. What I discover is something else entirely. As I flip through the transcripts, There they are. All the stories I've heard in Ross's tapes, in past interviews, and what Dominic has told me face-to-face. All of his stories sounded rehearsed. Because they were. Walter Mack and Frank Bergola helped Dominic master his testimony, his monologue, to be recited in front of a grand jury. These lines would be repeated for decades to come. Perhaps the most famous one of all was not only repeated by Dominic, but by law enforcement, journalists, and those we've interviewed throughout our series. What I'm about to read are excerpts from Dominic's testimony, describing the Gemini method. There was a system that when they wanted to kill somebody at the apartment, when the person would walk in, somebody would shoot him in the head with a silencer. They also had a... uh adjacent apartment where they bring people in there under the guise they have to talk about a sit-down or something and they'd shoot him. Somebody would wrap a towel around it to stop the blood from coming. Somebody would stab him in the heart to stop the blood from pumping. This guy came out from behind the door and stabbed him in the heart and wrapped uh, a towel around him to um, lessen the amount of blood at that point. They would drag him in the bathroom, put him in the shower, 
bleed him. And when you sufficiently drain yourself of enough blood, they would then strip you. Put him on a pool liner in the living room. Take him apart. Lay you down on a pool liner and start to dismember your body. Well, you never went hunting before? It's just like taking a deer apart. Have you ever seen a deer gun it? That's how they do it. The source of all this information can be traced back to one man, Dominic Montiglio. These narratives, through their various retellings, in turn, have become the truth. Dominic's version of events have become the version of events. This is a dangerous situation. The reality is, no one knows if the original telling, the court testimony given under oath, is even the truth. And who knows, after all these years, what other embellishments may have crept in. I'm reminded of my first phone call with Dominic. Eventually, that becomes real to you, what you said on this interview. And you got to make sure you say your next thing that's the same on another interview. So it becomes... uh, It's hard to explain. Because it becomes a way of your life. And you live with it. I say, I got to match it to what I said the last time. Stories morphing and embellishments are one thing. But what about those details that are omitted or slightly altered for self-preservation? As I read through the trial transcripts, I've come to learn that Dominic's perjury is mainly based on his omission of certain details to make himself appear less culpable. In the transcripts, Dominic is quoted as saying, I wouldn't have to perjure myself. There was a lot I left out. In other words, he opted to leave certain details out rather than lie about them. This wouldn't be the last time. Was that the first murder you were with Nino and Roy for? No. No, But we're not going to talk about that. (laughs) They could still charge me with that shit. Well, I'll ask you in the abstract, does... The first time you were with them for something, did you feel like, okay, I've crossed the line now, I'm, I'm, something has changed? Yeah. Yeah, and I pulled the trigger. So that put you in another spot. <coughs> but we're not going to say. That was in, like you said, the abstract. Now we know there were details left out from the story he told under oath. Details that could have harmed both Dominic and the prosecution. But after all these years, why admit this now? The trial is back in session. The defense is feeling confident about their case. In their mind, they've shattered the prosecution's star witness. Here's Jimmy LaRosa Jr. again. The government's case was in serious jeopardy. New York Times headlines leading up to the verdict uh, were, quote, Gambino trial defense attorneys assail credibility of key witness. Quote, key Gambino trial witness admits lying to the jury 
December 11th, 1985. Quote, another setback for prosecution in case against Gambino Group, December 15th, 1985. So the defense was flying high. One evening after the day's session ends, Paul Castellano heads uptown to Sparks Steakhouse to celebrate. Paul thought he had won. Even the other defense lawyers thought we had won. Feeling the wind at their backs, um, Paul set out for Sparks Steakhouse without a care in the world. Paul opens his car door, turns to close it. Paul Castellano is gunned down in the street. The hitmen disperse and a car slowly drives by. John Gotti, an overly ambitious soldier for the Gambinos, peers out from the passenger side window to observe the corpse of Big Paul Castellano. I was still in the office and it was one of the detectives called me and said, Big Paul had just been shot, shot and killed. And I, I turned on the TV and saw it. Just two weeks ago at his federal trial, a witness said of Castellano that the reputed mafia chief had objected to particularly brutal methods to be used in the mob-style hit. Now Castellano himself is the victim of such a hit. The question is whether his death will spark a new mafia war in New York or be the end of one. I can imagine that for plenty of viewers, flipping channels after a long day's work, that sort of announcement would have been big news. A mobster notorious around New York City meets a tragic end. But for Mary Lee, it wasn't just a gruesome mob hit. It was number one on the newscast, needless to say. It was fast-breaking news. Walter was not in the office. I called Walter. Walter, we just lost our number one defendant. He's been gunned down in the street. The Gambino crime family lost not one, but two bosses in under a decade. Unlike Carlo Gambino's peaceful passing in his sleep, this time, the boss of bosses is taken out in the street. The photos of the hit show an undignified-looking Paul Castellano, splayed on a Manhattan sidewalk, his mouth agape. And the man behind the hit was a member of the Gambino family, John Gotti. Gotti got very worried. Paul was going to be acquitted. John Gotti was terrified of the DeMeo crew. On an unreleased wiretap recording, Gene Gotti, John's brother, is heard speaking about his fear of being murdered by a member of the crew. But with the crew members being held at the MCC during the trial, there was now nothing to be afraid of. If there were no charges and Roy was running around free with Nino... They had never attempted to assassinate Paulie, because if they messed up, they'd all be dead. If it wasn't for Dominic Martiglio, Paul Castellano would have never been indicted with us. Unfortunately, he was the guy that bagged me in and put the money up top to him, and that's how it went. So he dragged it all down. Dominic drags it all down. When Pete LaFrocia says this, I realize the extent to which Dominic's decision impacts the entire Gambino crime family. If it isn't for Dominic Montiglio, Paul Castellano may not have been indicted. If it isn't for Dominic Montiglio, 
The remaining members of the DeMeo crew may not have been behind bars, unable to protect their boss. If it isn't for Dominic Montiglio, one of the most famous moments in American mafia history, a moment that's become the basis of books, films, and debates, may have never happened. The murder of Paul Castellano and the transfer of power to John Gotti happened because of the series of events set in motion after one man, Dominic Montiglio, made one choice. Paul Castellano's murder signaled the eventual downfall of the Gambinos, and the very life of organized crime was going to be over for all of them sooner than they could have imagined. As one of the first major RICO cases, convicting Paul Castellano would have been difficult for the prosecution. He was the orchestrator, but not the operator. But with Paul out of the picture, the remaining defendants are convicted. After three years, eight months, and two trials, U.S. v. Castellano is deemed a success. So what were the convictions in the end? Who got convicted? All of them. Henry got life. But he didn't get the life that Joey, the Gemini twins got. They'll never get out. They'll never have parole. How did you feel when everybody was convicted? I felt bad about my uncle. I felt bad about Henry. You know, those are the only two people that I had any feelings toward. Dominic's choice not only puts away the bad guys, it helps bring an end to the most prolific era of the American Mafia. Two years after sentencing, Nino Gaggi is in his cell. I was with Nino when we got sentenced in the MCC. We were on the 11th floor, and uh, he was in the cell with this kid, Joe Doherty. Joe Doherty was a funny guy. And uh, Nino was getting sick, so Joe was banging on the door, banging on the door. Finally, the cops came up, the hacks came up. Now we're on the 11th floor, right? They take him always down to the second floor, right? And they know he's sick. And they brought him always back up because he didn't have his jumpsuit on. And he died. He had a heart attack, you know? And Rose, his wife, had a hell of a lawsuit. On April 17th, 1988, the careful loyal, and feared Nino Gaggi, Dominic's uncle, takes his last breath. Do you believe that Nino would have killed Dominic? No. I really don't. In my heart of hearts, I really don't. I really don't know the story, I don't know if it's true when my father said that someone had a contract put out on him in prison. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Dominic claims he became a rat out of necessity. He says his life was in danger. I'm ashamed of what he did. I'm embarrassed of what he did. I never would have done what he did. If it was me testifying against the family versus maybe getting killed, I would have let myself maybe get killed. I never would have turned against my family, no matter what. 
If you remember from the previous episode, Dominic and his family are living under witness protection. Their lives completely upended. They change their names and take up residence in a place far away. All because of Dominic and the choices he's made. For this Brooklyn family, their new life comes with a significant culture shock. I remember asking if, when I found out that we were coming to Arkansas, saying, is Arkansas in Europe? Because I'd never heard of it before. Where do they send us? Sherwood, Arkansas. And I was in shock. I was in shock. Two years pass. The family is settled in. Well, except for Dominic. In typical fashion, he gets sick of normalcy. He drove one of those trucks, the Pepsi trucks, and he had to wear the little Pepsi shirt, and he hated it. And he would complain to my mother every day that he would come home, and he whined and whined and whined and just drove her nuts till she was finally like, well, just quit then. And he did. Denise has had enough. Enough of the instability, enough of the chaos, enough of the crime. Enough of Dominic. Denise opens the door, and Dominic leaves for good. To tell you the truth, what's happening now isn't fun. When I signed off on their program, it was a big decision that I had to make, you know. And I said, I can't have my life controlled by these people anymore, you know. Because they told you where to live, how much food you could get, you know what I mean? They were worse than the mob. As we've heard him say time and time again, Dominic Montiglio cannot be controlled. His old pal Richie knows that through experience. He was addicted to crime, to making a lot of money. And uh, he didn't know what else to do at that point. Um, Let's see. So this is what he would do. He has different parts of the country where he would go. um, And he would make his rounds and he would go stay with a certain person until he like wore out his welcome or got sick of it. And then he would move on to the next. He, He always had someone to go stay with and mooch off of, basically. Dominic's persona in the early years after the trial was no longer that of a mobster or artist or rat, but that of a wanderer, a vagabond. You know, they were with him for a certain amount of time, and then he went off on his own, and, you know, the Denise and kids went their way, and Dom kind of wandered on his own with, and had his own agenda and was bopping around the country. And then he eventually got kicked off of Witsec because he just wasn't following the rules. For the past two decades... Ross has watched his friend isolate himself. Dominic's selfish and destructive behavior pushed everyone away, including his own children. They just have always struck me as like kind of down-to-earth good people that, you know, had a father that kind of was off the rails, you know, and and, and caused a lot of damage in their lives. And, um, and I think they love him deeply, uh, but I just think that there's just been so much that's gone on over the years that they've just really had a hard time having him consistently be a part of their lives. 
Today, Dominic is alone, with nothing left but his story. Happy we're done? Yeah, but it's going to take a while to mellow out. It is. Yeah. It was almost like you were up on the stand again. <laughs> yeah. That's what it felt like. I think I'm a little bit nicer than Jimmy LaRosa. Yeah, Jimmy was a nasty lawyer. But then again, most lawyers are. Shut those dogs up. Thank you, Dom. Thank you. It was a trip. Probably going to be the last one you do. Probably not going to do any more interviews. No, I won't accept any of them. I leave Dominic Monteglio on the couch where I first met him. An old man living in an old house on a nondescript street in the desert. You can try, but you won't find him. One week later, Dominic calls me. I don't remember what I was doing, but I don't pick up. And he doesn't leave a message. Two weeks later, Ross calls. Dominic has gone on another bender. He fell down, been drinking, uh, and ended up in the hospital. So, he's in the hospital again. And uh, we'll see what happens, probably. I'm thinking he's going to end up... I, I just think he's going to be committed to this point. He just can't take care of himself. A few days after that, Ross calls again. He's curious about a question I'd posed in our first interview. I asked him, who do you think will come to Dominic's funeral when he dies? I called you because actually I was like wondering, you know... What, what made you ask me if I was going to go to his funeral? Like, what, where, like I was thinking about that. I'm like, she asked me if I was going to go to his funeral, and I wonder why. We speak again the next morning. I don't know. I, I don't know. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. And I just think that, you know, I don't know. After you left, not, not soon after, it just went completely downhill. Less than a month after I left Dominic, I see Ross's name light up my phone yet again. Nobody knows yet, so I haven't told anybody, and we're waiting to see what happens. But once, once, I mean, if it goes in that direction, then I'll call everybody and let everybody know what's going on and figure out what what we're going to do. Three days later, at 8.24 p.m., a text from Ross. He's gone. Mafia Tapes is produced by Gigantic Pictures for ID. The show is hosted, written, and produced by me, Celia Anaskovich. Story producers are Caitlin Colford and Maggie Robinson-Katz. 
producers are Pamela Ryan and Jeff Spivak. Music by Allison Layton Brown. Sound designer is Sam Baer. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.